it, it's funny today I was doing zoom calls and I was catching, were you too? All day. Yeah. From nine o'clock this morning till two o'clock this afternoon. How do we do that? I don't know. It's a first for me. I've never done a whole day's worth. Yeah, I had mine all smashed together. I was supposed to spread it out this week and then I did it all this morning. So I do a lot of follow-ups with the sports course that take it privately. So only the sports teams are taking it privately or on the Mm -hmm. videos. So I do these kind of catch-up sessions and they are so much fun because there's just so much brainstorming and amazing. Mm -hmm. There's so many brilliant people utilizing FSM right now yeah and then they ask you what would you do this is what I did what else would I do I did this and then the response is you did that and what happened or yeah and it's like this moment of being so proud that you gave them I'm like that wouldn't have been what I would have done but that's brilliant first of all so let me break this down because I'm going to try that you just have this moment of, wow, I just, I gave you all these seeds and you just cultivated these amazing ideas. Yep. So uh, the, it's one of the magic things about FSM. I had one of my Zoom calls was a podcast with Eric Gordon and he's an internist in Sebastopol, Santa Rosa area. And I worked with him the first time back in 2006 when the core was only three days. And we started talking about using FSM in chronic illness. And Eric came on board before we started treating the vagus, talking about how the vagus is involved in chronic illness when the patient is centrally sensitized and what percentage of chronically ill patients have been centrally sensitized. It's something on the order of 70 or 80% of chronically ill patients have a history of early childhood trauma or abuse. Now, trauma can be an auto accident, a surgery, difficult home life, however. But it's coincidence that in those chronically ill patients, the illness doesn't resolve when it should. Because their midbrain is sensitized. Can you, so again, I'm just going to back you up because we have lay people that are listening. Can you briefly explain sensitized to a lay person that'd be listening? We have- so in our world, the midbrain, we have a frequency for the midbrain. And the midbrain includes, once again, in our world, the amygdala, which is the emotional component the hippocampus, which has a lot of functions, but in our world, the hippocampus has as its job to remember every bad thing that ever happened to you. And the thalamus, which either suppresses pain or amplifies pain. You have those three. The vagus nerve comes out of the skull, has its nuclei in the medulla, but it comes out of the skull, it goes to your vocal cords, your esophagus, your stomach. It suppresses inflammation in the immune system, macrophages and T-cells. It suppresses blood sugar release from glycogen in your liver. It runs your digestive tract, right? And 80% of the information 
that your brain gets from your body comes from the vagus going up to the medulla, up to the midbrain saying, hey, we're fine down here. No infection, no trauma, no stress. So the vagus notifies the survival center in the midbrain when there is infection, stress, and trauma. So if you're being chased to the jungle by a tiger spit has lots of germs in it, you might break your leg. And you want your immune system to be really vigilant and active. You need lots of sugar to run your muscles. So the vagus says, hey, there's a tiger. And the midbrain says, "I tiger, got it. So the midbrain quiets down or suppresses the vagus. So the immune system can be active. Digestion can go off. Blood sugar can go up. Makes perfect sense from a survival standpoint. So sensitization is the concept that firing threshold neurologically every neuron interacts with let's say a hundred other neurons that touch it and for this neuron to fire in a normal person it takes let's say a hundred yes votes from all the other neurons that touch it, they all have to vote yes before this neuron fires and does its thing. If this neuron has been sensitized, it will fire when there's only 50 yes votes. In mechanical terms, it's the difference between a regular trigger on a gun and a trigger where it's been filed down to what they call a hair trigger. It takes much less to make it fire. Some stressor, like somebody cutting you off in an intersection or somebody having an argument standing next to you that wouldn't bother anybody else, in a patient that's been sensitized, that argument or that just missed collision is enough to send the limbic system, the midbrain, into stress and threat, at which point the vagus gets turned down. The immune system fires up or stops being suppressed. It goes up. Digestion goes down. Stomach acid goes down. That's the concept of sensitization. And that's basically where almost all chronic illness comes from. It's just data. It's epidemiologic data. There are exceptions, of course, but as a general rule, something on the order, forget the exact statistic, I think it's between 70 and 80% of chronic pain or chronically ill patients, certainly fibromyalgia patients, is what I applied the data to, have a history of early childhood trauma or abuse. And now that we connect it with the vagus and the midbrain, we know it's because the midbrain has been sensitized. It takes less to make it fire, turn the vagus off. So the vagus stops regulating the immune system, blood sugar, and the digestive system properly. So having that conversation with Dr. Gordon was just really fun because he didn't if you don't have a way of treating the vagus 
that's reliable, reproducible, powerful, effective, and bomb-proof. It never doesn't work. If you don't have a way of treating it, you don't think about it when your entire practice is made up of chronically ill patients. You don't ever think about, oh, I need FSM to do this piece of it. Because back when Eric took and his team took FSM was 2006. And he thinks of FSM as being most useful in muscle conditions, nerve pain, because we were doing more myofascial work than we were neurologic and visceral work back then. It's just really fun. (laughs) Yeah, I can't imagine what you get out of it after doing it so long and seeing it reproduced. And everybody has their own little spin on it. But still makes it like you and I could, and this is what I wanted to do. I've been wanting to do this for a little while, but I thought today might be a good day to do it. Sure. Where you and I could both get thrown a condition and we would probably have very different sequences of approach. But I'm sure nine times out of 10, if we would match those frequencies up, we might just have a different starting and end point just because of different sets of mileage in different scenarios. Sure. Yeah, no, I have absolutely no doubt that we'd end up doing roughly the same thing, maybe in a different order. Exactly. Yeah. And I was having this conversation today with, with one of the trainers and we were talking about the sequence and the ordering and the layering. And I'm like, there is no right or wrong answer. The way we teach is what statistically works the best first. And the hypothesis of why you would start with where you start, whether it's trauma, bleeding, torn and broken, and then find your way through. But don't flip out if you don't start there because it's going to work or it's not going to work. And when it doesn't doesn't work, you do something else. Exactly. I have one for you from this week. Do it. Let's talk about it. Patient comes in and he's had a kidney transplant. And so he is on a, an immune suppressant that is causing peripheral neuropathy. Oh, yeah. And he's had an MRI of his C-spine and his lumbar spine. And the findings are pretty ugly. And he said, so I have some low back pain and a little bit of knee pain. But I want my hands and my feet to feel better. And But on his pain score, his pain's an eight. And I said, where is your pain an eight? And he said, oh, it's right here. And his wife was there. And he's just, he's a good old boy, farmer, logger, right? And so he just drops his trousers, shows me where his pain is. And he's got shingles at S2 and 3. And it's, oh my, this just changed the entire game. Lay down. So I ran shingles. And then I said, here's the bad news. I can't use anything that has 40 in it because you have a viral infection. So if you look at the neurologic diagram, S2 and S3 are on the sacrum, but the other end of that nerve root is your genitals. So that is, we didn't want shingles to go anyplace in a patient that's on an immune suppressant. So I couldn't use 40 for his low back. So we just played with the fingers, the feet, 
and I could do some things that warmed him up. And finally, after the second session, when nothing was holding, he said, my hands feel cold. Took the temperature in his hands. His arms are 97.1. His hands are 97.3. They're actually warmer, but they feel cold. Gotcha. At which point I texted Ben Catholi and Dave Burke and said, why does this immune suppressant do that? At the tip of his fingers, within 10 minutes, Ben Catholi sends me the article that says how that works. Cool. Yeah. Too complicated to talk about here. Made my brain hurt. I'll try again on Thursday. But the shingles protocol is working. The rash is getting less red. It's getting smaller. The pain is not an eight. It's a five. And because he's immune suppressed, I sent him to urgent care last night to get a cyclovir. It's an antiviral. Um, And I'd love to have FSM be the thing that takes care of his shingles. But just in case, there you go. So that was really fun. And then we'll work on his low back. It's all facets. It's easy. So his back pain was new or he's had back pain? And then it happened that he had shingles. Yeah, it's the back pain is chronic. And if you're not going to treat 40 because you can't treat 40 because he has shingles and he's leaving Friday, he's not going to be finished with shingles by Friday. So he had arthritis also in his fingers, right? So I was able to treat the arthritis. Normally we would use 40 for the cartilage and just as a baseline. And then you go to the calcium deposits. I started with the calcium deposits and it worked. I didn't have to do 40. That's confusing. I think, you know where my brain is going in the last few months anyways is, and it's not a new concept. And this is what kind of makes me mad is because I'm like, this is not new. Why are you just now thinking like this? Mm -hmm. But I think 40 for the longest time was like our go-to for everything. And again, it's going one step backwards and thinking, but why is it inflamed? And then that is your starting point. And I get it. There's times where you just want to jump all over 40, especially when it comes to nerve pain or running it in the cord, because it will get that patient's pain down so quickly, but that's not where you stop. And I think that's where a lot of people do stop is they're like, oh, it worked. It brought the pain down. Yeah, but it's not going to last. And until you figure out why are we in this condition in the first place? Unless we're lucky and it's just a nerve traction injury. But if it's a disc bulge that's causing the nerve pain, you do 40 and 396 to reduce inflammation in the nerve to get rid of the nerve pain because that's what the patient cares about. And then you treat the disc and then you tell the patient, this isn't going to last because you have a sprained ankle in your neck and it's going to take six weeks, assuming you don't do anything to make it worse in between now and six weeks from now. Next time you bend your head down and lift a 20 pound box, that's the day that the six weeks starts all over again. But don't you think, okay, this is where I wanted to go. So I wanted to do this little hot stove with different body parts. We'll talk about a foot and ankle, maybe one of the most, 
either complicated cases or whatever, and we could just brainstorm and we could do body from there. But so I want to go back to the nerve traction injury for a second. Don't you think that even the nerve traction injury, you could go back one step further too, because it's like, again, it didn't just traction out of thin air. There was trauma. There was probably bleeding. Torn and broken. There was torn and broken. There was the allergy reaction. There was all of that before the nerve needed 40. Yes. And what does the patient care about? Getting out of pain. Getting out of pain. So that's the first thing I do. It's yes, I'll do 40. And then yeah. once the pain's gone, then we can go back. Talk. Yeah. But my point was like always our first public enemy number one, get the pain down because nothing will ever yeah, I get it. You have to heal this and you have to do that. But if they're up here with pain, upset or stress, like nothing's going to move, nothing's going to hold. Right. But I think where I'm really trying to drive the, the point across now, especially the way I'm teaching is don't stop. Don't stop at 40 because stress. Oh, yeah. why it got to that state. So all this stuff over here nothing's holding. And my quote of the day, not only we end with the quote, but we're starting and just to keep us on track. So the theme was, or the quote was, we repeat what we don't repair. Oh, I like that. Okay. Super super simple, but works in so many cases. And it it is true. So I'm sure you get the same set of emails that come in and they give you a case and they run all the frequencies and you're reading it. And you're like, yeah, that's great. That's great. Check, check. I would do that. And then you keep reading and then they say, but it doesn't hold. Yeah. And what is the perpetuating factor? It's, there are so many places where you have to go look that up. Those are the days where it's, yeah, what I need is Kim in the gym over here or Kim 2.0 or 1.0 or something in the gym to do the rehab because that's the missing piece. And sometimes that is the missing piece, or sometimes it is just something that you missed in the treatment that is causing that splinting to, to come back, or it's the stable state. There's so many places that my brain wants to go to, and I don't have the right answer of did, I don't know if you missed anything. I don't know if the patient just didn't disclose a certain part of their history because they forgot, or they just didn't want you to couldn't tell you it's it was when we did the practicum last weekend before one of the students had the idea to run one custom care on 40 and 396 to do the axilla and then would use the precision care and it's if you're going to do quiet the nerve on one so you don't have to switch back and forth between the two you could hook up another custom care and just treat the disc because the disc is always what's wrong with the shoulder uh, unless they fell off a horse and fractured their shoulder. So there's that. And a lot of these questions and a lot of these, I don't want to say talking in circles because it's not, it's all relative, but if you have multiple machines, it makes that troubleshooting that much quicker because if I'm running something, okay, let's go back to your shoulder. I'm, if I have somebody that has frozen shoulder, painful shoulder, scar tissue shoulder, nerve traction shoulder, I don't care what kind of shoulder it is. I'm running 4089 on one for sure. Because 
the shoulder is one of the most unstable movable joints that we have. And especially if you treat somebody and you want to treat somebody effectively, they have to have the buy-in. So their shoulder has to be completely relaxed in your arm, especially when you start going into the axilla to do a subscap treatment or to start moving it because when you're running 13, you want to mobilize the area. That is the first test. If I do not have the entire weight of that person's arm, all bets are off because the minute they are holding it up and people are so funny. They're like, I'm like, like, I am relaxed. And you let go of their hand and their arm is still standing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That should be falling if you were relaxed. So 40, 89, and absolutely running something on the nerve, whether it's 13 or 40 on the other custom care, then you have your precision care for all the other stuff. So that's three at a bare minimum. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My patients are so funny because they always bring their custom cares in and they're always like, just in case you need a seven, (laughs) just in case, or a third, because sometimes mine are gone for rentals and nobody ever wants to be without multiple machines because people know how much more effective it is. And I tell them to bring it in because I want to update it, which is something else I wanted to talk about, but um, updating custom cares. So this is like the busiest stretch of my professional career because it's the off season moving into the in season and all my athletes have custom cares that expire at the end of the season, June or July. Yeah. And I, I do that on purpose because this promotes them to check in with me so I can make the next season's prescriptions that much more effective. Right. And I I don't even think it's for athletes. I like I I my lay people all have them expire once a year or every so often because things change and you want things to change. So as things heal they're no longer relevant anymore. They may have new conditions. We're always changing. And I, I keep thinking about when you were lecturing a while ago about we don't have one cell in our body that we didn't have. How I can't remember the time frame that well, you, you gave. It depends on the tissue, but even bone remodels, I think it's about once a year, but you don't have a single cell in our digestive system that was there seven days ago. That was what you were saying. And yes, granted, yeah. each tissue is different. But my point is that the same goes for frequencies. Where we're resonating a couple years ago, a couple weeks ago is not where we're resonating. And yeah, we can get really close with a lot of things, but wouldn't you want to be as dialed in and as specific as possible, both as a patient and as a practitioner? So Mm -hmm. the practitioners that are listening have these prescriptions expire so that you can have a quick Zoom call or phone call it's so easy now to push the prescriptions to people have their own cables. It's so exciting to write programs specifically for people. It doesn't get more fun than that. I don't know. Maybe everybody knew about this except me, but there's a feature on the new custom care software. So let's say I create a program specifically for this one patient that's got some really neat features in it. There is now a button that you can push that says add to mode bank. Ooh. Yeah. 
So you have somebody specific. Oh, no, I just write it in the mode bank and then I move it over. Yeah. I used to do that too, but then you end up with a bunch of different versions of X. Yeah. So there's a protocol called knee pain. Yeah. But then this one person with knee pain, almost all of his knee pain was because he had a medial meniscus that was frayed and torn and broken and the ligament and connective tissue that was torn. Almost the whole thing was just torn and broken. Right. And so I called it meniscus. And there was that button that said, add to the mode bank. Yes. Click. Isn't that cool? Yes. They did such a good job with this software. Yes. And yes, it is cumbersome at times, but it's like anything, once you get the hang of it, it's just. It's only cumbersome because it has actually been designed to not let you make a mistake. So remember how difficult the old software was because you'd leave a zero in a spot or you'd put something out of order and it yeah. was just a mess. And yeah. when, what's his name, designed this stuff, he said, that was Danielle's rule. No mistakes. Are you sure you want to do this? You sure you want to close this and not save it? All that. Gotcha. And it's funny because the saving was a new feature that I had to, was okay, save. Yeah. So I'm glad I'm saving it and mm-hmm. I'm doing my finger. This is like my mousy finger, but anyways, so yeah. And for the patients that get maybe frustrated about having to check in, I know some of my athletes are like my prescription expired. I'm like, we go through this every year. What expires pretty much the day after your season ends, that is the time to check in with me. And if all things are the same, great. It's two clicks and you're off because Once we got that software that the patients can have their own portal, all my athletes got a little gift in the mail and they were programming cables. And so that made my life so much easier to be able to push their prescription to them and their updates. And yeah, and we're not missing two days of them overnighting me a machine, me updating or making something like Uber specific and then overnighting it back because as in those acute conditions, Every second, you need to have frequency on them. And that's assuming that the overnight actually turns into overnight. And never does. That's the face, yes. What do you mean it's in Cleveland? (laughs) You live in Dallas. Why is your unit in the post office in Cleveland, et cetera? Yeah, and I've had one that actually went missing. It was just, it's been in Kentucky for six years. That saves that. One day it'll come, it'll turn up, I'm sure. Okay, we have a couple questions. Some were emailed, some are on here. Before we go to the ones on here, you and I both got an email about tinnitus, which oh, yeah. I, I'd like to get that one done because that is a pretty common condition. And so I'll let you start. I and you're gonna have to explain what it is, first of all, for patients. Okay. Tinnitus is that ringing in your ears. It's usually high pitched, always high pitched. And I had it from aspirin. Aspirin is ototoxic. And if you don't have a gene that allows you to detoxify, it's SOD2. If you don't have the gene that allows you to 
detoxify NSAIDs or aspirin, then I was on one baby aspirin a day after my heart surgery. And on day 365, I woke up with this in my ear. I just lived with it. Yes, it's aspirin, blah, blah, blah. About four or five years later, my daughter says, mom, you really have to get a hearing aids. Why? The TV is too loud. And you keep saying, what? Okay, fine. I got hearing aids and my tinnitus disappeared. So I called the audiologist at Good Samaritan that does our vestibular testing. And I asked her, it's like, what's tinnitus? What causes it? And she says, it's phantom limb pain for your ears. So everybody knows there's the cochlea is that little spiral thing. And it's got little teeny hair cells in it that are actually nerves. And when the bones in your ears make waves in the fluid that's inside that cochlea, the little hair cells wiggle with the waves and tell this part of your brain, hey, there's a sound. And your brain interprets that as sound. When you lose hearing, most often the most fragile of those little hair cells are the high-frequency ones, and they're the ones that go first. So when she said, tinnitus is phantom limb pain for your ears, it made sense as to when people say, what do you do for tinnitus? And I say, this. You just put your hearing aid in, and there you go. It's pretty much gone. Um, Now, that being said, the cures for tinnitus that are all over the internet, even in the FSM community, somebody that ran something in an ear and tinnitus goes away and it's, wow, that's cool. Not sure how that works. I tried one of the supplements that was supposed to cure tinnitus. I used that for a year. Didn't do anything. This fixed it. So that's tinnitus. I had a patient who had tinnitus and I took Tom Affleck's tinnitus solution and I tried it on her, didn't do a thing. And I said, you really need to get your hearing checked and then we can talk. If you have high frequency hearing loss, then what you need is hearing aids and then the tinnitus goes away as long as you're wearing your hearing aids. Travell and Simons talk about trigger points in the SCM that will create tinnitus. I've never encountered that in a therapy situation, so I don't know if it's true, but they tend to be truthful. So that could also be a thing. So the answer to the email is get their hearing checked and do that. The only thing I would have to add is what you alluded to with Travell and Simon's uh, trigger points, because we have cases with post-concussion syndrome where tinnitus started after that. And cases that I have personal experience with, it has been due to musculoskeletal, so SCM trigger points, and doing concussion protocol, supine cervical has helped that. But it wasn't just frequency. It was doing a multitude of things for C-spine health. And following a concussion makes sense because the SCM is innervated by the accessory nerve. Mm-hmm. NC1, 2, and 3. Yeah. If you get concussed, then 
it would make sense that the medulla gets inflamed or irritated, makes this muscle tight. The increased tone in the SCM creates trigger points and it's like dominoes. So that yeah. makes sense. It's worth a try. Yeah, exactly. And especially when the onset, again, the mysteries in the history. So if the onset of the tinnitus was due to trauma, fall, head injury, that could be a way to go. And yeah. worst case scenario, and, you can help their neck. Yeah, exactly. That makes it even better. Yay. Let's head over to a couple of the questions that are on here and on the chat. I think there's a couple that came in. I'll let you start with whoever you want to start with. Oh, the the two I see are from Maddie, which is perfect. How how are you up at this time of night, girl? Have a patient when he presented with painful reflux with bad gas in the morning, four to six a.m. continues into the day for the last three years. He was diagnosed with IBS. Okay. What's the first question you ask? What happened three years ago? Right. <laughs> uh, recently divorced three years ago, maybe. Within the week I saw him, his wife suffers from chronic back pain, has a spinal cord stimulator, can't work. So his new wife first old wife. He's working two jobs, remote mining and pest control night shift, sleep deprivation, 15-year-old mom and dad, history of violence and abuse, Vegas, tinnitus and hearing loss, 11 knee operations, football player, tinnitus, hearing loss in the left ear. This is all one person, Maddie? Left ring finger, five operations to fix fracture and ligament, brain fog, no fooling. 70% gluten-free, that's like being a little pregnant, but still eating wheat pizza and drinking beer. Bloating and gas reaction, celiac test is negative. Concussion in Vegas, depression, relax and balance, IBS with no change, you think? It's very frustrated, seeing many clinicians cannot figure out what was wrong. Oh, my God. Oh, you, you talk, Kim. I have no words. Uh, it's Are there any of the boxes he didn't check? I was just going to say, this is the patient whose history makes the hair on your neck stand up and you're like, wow, where do I even start? And the other thing is, it's one treatment is, this is the reason that it's twice a week for four to six weeks. It is also being willing to have what I call the come to Jesus conversation with the patient. It is really difficult to bail out a boat while somebody is still shooting holes in the bottom of it. Your life is a management problem, not your fault, but at least five days a week, you are shooting holes in the bottom of your boat. I can help you bail it out. But this leads to that. Mm -hmm. And then you have a conversation about, I know you're not celiac, but you're obviously gluten sensitive. So do the worst first. Give me six weeks with zero gluten. Uh, gluten Gluten-free beer sucks. So drink wine if you need alcohol. Drink vodka made out of potatoes. 
but no wheat, zero for six weeks. Why six weeks? On Friday of the sixth week, you can have beer and pizza and see how you feel on Saturday. And then we won't ever have to have this conversation again. But creating a realistic expectation for a patient with that kind of history. So if finances, and I don't know if it's possible, if finances allow it, this guy needs to run concussion in Vegas every single night. And because he played Australian football, which does not involve helmets or padding, mind you. The other thing you need to do is a vestibular screen to make sure that 94 is appropriate. Tinnitus and hearing loss just in his left ear suggests he probably does have a vestibular injury. Just one ear. Does that make sense to you? No. Let's see. Yeah. She's already treated him. She's only with no change. Maddie, did you just treat him once? This is he's recently divorced. She says he's two weeks divorced. But then also his wife, so his ex-wife, his old wife, he's only been divorced for two weeks. Oh, he lives three hours away. Oh my gracious. Okay, so don't freak. I wouldn't expect much change after one treatment. And no. you had a great start with everything. Yeah. All the right stuff. Yeah. Except only thing he missed was TTH. That's where I would have started with one machine, just on the background, just to get that out of the way. Yeah. That was too many boxes, like you said. Every section of your patient form was probably like just highlighted everywhere. <laughs> So when you highlight the whole like why did I do three hours away? This would be the patient, in my opinion, that I would try to get a rental to him. And you would need at least four programs a day, take it for a week to just make a dent in it before he even came back to see me. That's just my opinion. Yes. Oh no, absolutely. And the come to Jesus conversation of six weeks with no wheat, zero, and get in his head the connection between wheat pizza and beer and bloating and gas and the brain fog and he's working nights yeah so So the circadian rhythm is going to be a disaster celebrate hormone testing for cortisol and find out if he's on statins i don't know how old he is but i had a patient come in who was on statins his cholesterol was 130 and his major complaint was brain fog and depression. That's you think. And yeah, so I there's that. So just always check that. No, and what you said, I yeah, I just think there's too many things there. And again, like just for me, for as a clinic clinician, I want to treat people in the clinic with my hands and with exercise. And a lot of this stuff he could be treating himself at home, frees up my clinic space, and he doesn't need a ton of manual therapy for the stuff that needs to just be, like I said, cleared out of the way. So TTH, concussion in Vegas, 
SIBO probably, leaky gut probably, like running all those visceral conditions at home. Yeah. Especially when no statins, he's 42 years old. And it also helps to tell him that the divorce... takes about a year to get adjusted to the mess as long as children are involved and ex-wives and relationships coming apart and property and all that stuff it's like having a death in the family and even when the divorce is a good idea you don't know whether to say condolences or congratulations even when it's a good idea it's still a year Wow. It's the same as having what died was your idea about what this relationship was going to turn out to be. Mm. That's what died. Yeah. Grief is a very funny. I've used the grief frequency when certain, when you just know you have to hit us after you've done concussion and all the things. And there's still like this motion or the story that they keep telling you. I've run grief when people have retired, when kids have moved out. And it's to your point, the person or human didn't die or an animal didn't die. It's the death of a chapter in their life. Yeah. The hard stop of something, right? Yeah, absolutely. Very interesting. And what is grief again? What is the frequency for it? 17 and Chinese medicine, grief is the lung. When someone has the stages of grief that they talk about actually apply with FSM as well. I tell the story when we talk about the using the frequency grief is complicated because grief is socially acceptable for people to grieve. But The only time I've ever had trouble running one of the 970s is when students ran 970 and 17, the frequency for grief, on a woman who had lost her son. Actually, it happened two different seminars, five years apart. And the woman lost her son. He had a genetic condition. She took him into the emergency room. The doctors wouldn't listen to her, and he was dead by morning. She came and took the class. She has another son, three years younger, with the same genetic condition. And the team at her table, being all women, were running the frequency for grief, and she's weeping buckets. And I crept over to the table and just changed it to 970 and anger, 35. She wasn't grieving. She was furious. It was beyond anger. It was rage. As soon as we ran the frequency for anger, she stopped crying. And we ran that for about five minutes. She couldn't talk about it, right? We ran resentment, got that. But she's got another son, and she's got the same problem looming in the future. She's terrified. So we ran 970 in terror, 970 in fear, and then we can run 970 in grief, the lung, not a drop, not a tear. So grief comes in layers. So the difference between 
retiring by choice at the age of 70, that could be 970 and 17, just grieving the loss of that, is different than getting laid off at the age of 64 because your employer is uh, not a nice person. And so then you would think about looking at the emotions, as you would say, in layers. What's first? He's scared because of his finances. He's angry because he didn't deserve to be laid off. And they did it to him at age 64. They could have given him another year. Give me a break. So resentment, then grief, and turn the Vegas back on. The Vegas is the source of information that tells the most primitive part of your brain that you're going to be okay. The Vegas, once you see it, you can't ever unsee it. And that was going to be my follow-up is I now learning so much about the midbrain and the vagus, whereas before I would just jump to the emotions. I don't do that until I've treated the midbrain concussion in vagus. I'll let that happen first. I'm not sure if that's the right thing to do or not, or if you can run emotions. I just think that's the safer baseline to... It's like running trauma and bleeding before I do torn and broken. Like I know something else is behind this. I'll just let that. The emotions come from the midbrain. They come from the amygdala. Yeah. Yeah. So you would run the, where they come from, quiet that down. Right. And then run the 970s. I think it makes perfect sense. And I've just found that so often than not starting with 4089, quieting the midbrain, running concussion in Vegas first, it just changes everything about that person. So they end up telling you more about the history. They tell you more about the story, what they're feeling, as opposed to just trying to throw darts at the wall. Are they angry? Especially those of us who don't have a psychology background, you've got a much clearer picture of what people are feeling just because of your training. Yeah, it's perfect storm. I had a patient also this week who said, oh, I have asthma and I'm just allergic to everything. Really? What was her other thing? Oh, and she's got non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. And it's, she's in a happy relationship. She's in her 60s. And, and I said, when did your allergy start? She said, oh, when I was a kid, I was allergic. And I said, what was your childhood like? Was it peaceful or a little bit chaotic and traumatic? And she said, more on the chaotic, abusive and traumatic end. And I went, okay. So this is why you have allergies. So I, I warned my patients, I'm a teacher. If you don't want to know where things come from, you have to tell me or I'm, it's just going to come right out of my mouth. This is why you have allergies, because your vagus nerve got turned down when you're a kid, and it stops suppressing macrophages and T-cells. So you developed allergies, and instead of getting eczema, you got asthma. Right. And the other thing the vagus does is it keeps the liver from turning glycogen into sugar. She doesn't have a bad diet. 
She's not obese. She's menopausally tummy, but who isn't at our age? And it's, I said, so your vagus has not been telling your liver, don't produce sugar because Mm -hmm. your vagus has been turned down since you were about three. So I plopped her in a rocking chair while I treated her husband and treated non-alcoholic fatty liver, concussion in vagus, and asthma. And at the end of it, she's just floaty. We don't charge extra for it. (laughs) She said, oh, that's the dude effect. Uh They go in all 50 states. And we don't charge extra for it. No. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Now it's all connected. And it made it easy to ask the question, what was your childhood like? Right. You started in childhood. What was your childhood like? Yeah. Okay. Maddie has another question. We'll talk about a goalie. So this is hockey goalie who split pads and got crushed by a bigger player in butterfly stance. So butterflies, when they were like splayed out, like the splits, has a grade two to three MCL strain. MCL is a medial collateral ligament, which checks lateral blows. So it's a very common one in sports. She ran concussion in Vegas, soft tissue acute, and then several hours of 124-100 torn and broken in the ligament and torn and broken in the connective tissue. He's now able to do full depth squat, great, but cannot bring his foot out to the side testing the MCL, okay? We have discussed surgical review. We're on a timeline, get him back ASAP, of course. Okay. Meniscus. Yeah, so took the words right out of my mouth. This is why we collaborate so well. The MCL is the medial collateral ligament and very hard pressed to find an MCL that has a strain that the medial meniscus didn't also have some sort of trauma to as well. So torn and broken in the meniscus would be my next thing. If the meniscus still has trauma to it, there's no way you're going to get that VMO, the vastus medialis obliquus, to help stabilize for squat patterning. 124 and 214 214 is actually more important than the ligament. If you can repair the meniscus, the ligament has to be repaired too, but it's... But they go hand in hand. And with a goalie, again, this is where we try to get as ergonomically specific as possible. They have so much torque on their knee because they're going into the splits and there's more torque on the knee for a goalie than there would be a normal hockey player or a football player because of the mechanics. So chances are that meniscus, he's 17. He's been playing goalie probably for at least 10 years, probably specialized. That meniscus has had tons of torque and micro tearing in it. So I would also do joint surface as well, which helps, which is one layer underneath the meniscus. So 214. Truth be told, I didn't like that frequency for a while, but now I love it for meniscus and labrum is my happy spot channel. Especially for knee pain, medial knee pain, it's never not the meniscus. And if you look about the surgical review, when they do an MRI of the knee, the surgery doesn't shorten the ligament. It takes out the meniscus. Yeah. They don't even repair the tear in the meniscus. I don't think, do they? No, they just trim the shreddy parts. Yeah. The, the next is, you say it. 
Yes. And when treating the meniscus, regardless of how you're doing it, the first set of exercises are going to be open chain terminal knee extensions to get the VMO to fire. So VMO only wants to fire at that last 30 degrees of extension. So doing it open chain now would be a good idea. Even if you have to go surgical, you want to get that VMO strong before surgery. If you don't have to go surgical, you need to get that VMO strong. So just doing open chain, which means non-weight bearing, right? That foot is free in space to just... Can you explain or demonstrate what that means? Because you left me in the dust there. Okay. So open chain means non-weight bearing. So the chain is open. So if I'm doing my knee pick up my knee here, open chain would be just the last 30 degrees of extension. Okay. From slightly bent, you would have a bolster under your knee to locking it out into extension. And that's what's going to really make the VMO fire the most. In external rotation, right? To get the VMO to fire? You can do it neutral, but external rotation. Yeah. Even more. It also takes the strain off the medial meniscus if they're in external rotation, right? That's right. ER and then go into neutral. Yeah. And then if he's really brave, then you put a one pound weight on his ankle and have him do it. Yes. And then you want to go to close chain as fast as possible. So standing and then having a band behind their knee and then going into extension because weight bearing proprioception, blah, blah, blah. So again, this goes into when I read, he can't, he can do a full squat, but he can't externally rotate. Why can't he? Is it inhibited because the central nervous system is still, no, there's trauma here. We can't wait bear through there. So that could be just that firing pattern. So doing the wipe and load, or it's because you haven't addressed the meniscus and there absolutely is still trauma there. So there's no stability. The meniscus is what takes the femoral condyle and keeps it where it's supposed to be. Exactly. And if the meniscus is shredded, when the condyle does this, it gets caught on the living tear. Yeah. And your cerebellum says, I don't think so. Ow. Why would we do this? Yeah. But for a goalie, he needs to get that. That has to happen. So yeah, I, Maddie, I would try to incorporate open chain exercises. So scrap the squat because it's loaded and that's, that's a scary position if something is still unstable and move into open chain exercises. And if you still need, you can do wipe and load with an open chain exercise. So probably not that much wiping, but increase in secretions. So 81, 84, 81, 92, an open chain exercise would be very cool to do. And treat them hours and hours of 124 and 214 and 124 and 100. Yeah. 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 Nerding out there, everybody. All right. A couple more questions. Oh, geez. It's almost time. It is not. Oh my gosh. There's more. John. My- no. Thanks. Okay. John Meyer. Hi, John. Hi, Great success. Yay. Getting ideas here. Not a doctor, but I love to learn. 70 year old, badly damaged right shoulder from a freak accident 10 years ago. Surgery back then infection. Ugh. So they removed all a year later. Okay, never mind. Limited motion in the right arm, you think? Client, blah, blah, blah. Eduardo worked on her. Yay. Movement in the range of motion. Jesse had to leave the island. Oh, and by the way, the patients that came to see me this week were sent by Jesse. That's another conversation. Blah, blah, take over. MRSA, 
and wardrobe to get ideas, scarring on the nerves and the fascia. So I had her put her arms together in front, hands together, elbows straight, movement, scarring, came as I can load. So cool to witness this. Yay. Isn't that just cool? Stop being afraid. Forget what it used to be. Then learn a new way to move it. Learn a new way that it is now. That's what 81 and 84 and 81 and 92 translates to. Shaky movements become steady and calm. Isn't that so fun? Because it's safe. Yeah. The brain thinks it's safe. Yeah. Uh, Her goal is to be able to reach the dishes on the lower shelf. Okay. Got a picture of her grabbing her dishes for the first time yesterday. Made her day. Yay. Um, Good job. I love seeing stuff like that. Oh, okay. Bruce, the single frequency treatments, which are referring to as the Healy. And those frequencies are from Nuno Nina and other, the term Healy uses is databases. And I have absolutely no experience with where they came from, what they do or whatever. And you can't convert the dual frequencies to a single frequency approach, mostly because all we do know is that the condition and the tissue have to be correct. And in that field, you have the frequency from A, the frequency from B, the sum of the two frequencies and the difference between the two frequencies. And I've never, we've never figured out a way which one, which piece of that combination could do all the work. So we've always used two frequencies. And the other thing with the single frequency device that he's referring to, the Healy, is that the device is supposed to do an analysis of your quantum field. And then the device decides, you tell it what general area you want to address. And then the device decides what to run. That is the one part, like there are people around the world thousands and thousands of people that love little Healy. And I would still rather have the diagnosis and the choices made for right or wrong in between your two ears, Bruce. I'd rather trust you to make an honest mistake and be able to work forward from this didn't work So what is it? So if you've taken the core once or twice, taken Kim's class, the purpose of every class that FSM gives is to teach you how to think. So I'd rather trust your brain than any gadget that's this big or this big. I just, I can't, I never can get past that. And people have for at least 40 years that I know about had devices that analyze acupuncture points and meridians and the bioenergetic field and trying to find a device 
that will do the diagnosis. And, and it never works. They come up with some things, but, it, but just no, hang in there, Bruce. Stick yeah. with FSM. You can use the single channel device and for what it's good for, because a lot of people use it and feel great. But when it comes to fixing this kid's knee, I take FSM every time. Okay. Way to go. Hi. And an hour, it's just gone. How? The vortex. It, the vortex is. knowledge. It just like. <laughs> We're some sort of time warp. It's like we enter this black hole at three o'clock and all of a sudden it's 4.06. I know. I don't know. But it's sure fun. I know. I love it. Thanks everybody for coming and listening and those valuable questions. Hopefully we helped. And yay. 19 more sleeps until we're in Australia. Uh, very good. I will see yay. you next time. Yep. And then JJ is coming to Taiwan and bringing the machines with him so we don't have to trust shipping. Great. And we'll be in Australia and then Kevin and I head to Taiwan and we'll meet JJ there. And there's 25 People signed up for Australia. There's a week ago, there were 30 people signed up for Taiwan. And that's what, a month and a half before. So we'll be at 35 or 36. Amazing. Yeah. That's pretty Don't forget to sign up for the advance. Yes. Tickets go quickly. You and I get to chat after this, right? Yes. Okay. All right. So we'll have the schedule for the advance very soon. Yay. All right, everybody. Thanks for coming. Thanks for coming. Do good things. See you next week. Bye. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors, or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.